In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That's the refrain we hear over and over again through the Old Testament, that the Lord God was with those patriarchs, the founders of Judaism. And today in our Old Testament lesson, that comes to an end. Jacob has died. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all gone now. And because they're gone, the brothers kind of wonder now, maybe their half-brother Joseph still kind of holds it against them, what they did, and maybe he will try to punish them. You remember how the story goes. Jacob uh, hoodwinked his brother Esau twice, got his birthright, and um, got his blessing from the old man, from Isaac. And then he, was, he, he had to run, so he was sent to his mother's brother, Uncle Laban. And while he was there, he fell in love with Laban's younger daughter, Rachel. That would have been his first cousin, by the way. So we now know they were in West Virginia. But he, he, he really wanted to marry Rachel. But um, he had to work seven years for that. Well, at the time of the wedding, they had the big veils and everything, and uh, he got all done with the service and found out that he had married Leah, the older daughter, whom he didn't really want to marry. And he said, hey, what's the deal here? Jacob, the cheater, got cheated by Uncle Laban. It's kind of like, you know, poetic justice, really, in a way. And uh, Uncle Laban says, oh, that's the way we do it here. You know, you've got to marry the older daughter first. You could have the other daughter, too. All you've got to do is work another seven years. So he did. But Jacob loved Rachel, and, you know, it was pretty obvious. And in that time, if you had children, that was considered the greatest blessing. You needed kids to work on the farm, and you needed kids for, that that was their version of social security. You know, who's going to take care of you when you're old? So if you have a dozen kids, you got a good shot that you're going to be taken care of. Well, unfortunately, Rachel had fertility problems, and she had no kids and had no kids. Meanwhile, Leah the wife not favored, was cranking them out like a slot machine. She had 10, she had 10 boys, just like that. And uh, finally, finally, Rachel had a son, Joseph. And this son was, was held up as the golden child. He was given all of the opportunities and all of the breaks in the family. And everybody knew it. It was a pretty dysfunctional kind of family. They all knew it. And the, the, the topper was when Joseph received the famous coat of many colors. That is another term for the coat of a prince. It's, you know, it's like a, a tunic, short tunic kind of thing that a prince would wear. And basically what that is, is a coat that says, this boy's never going to do a lick of work on the farm at all. It's going to, you, you other boys from the other one, you're going to have to do that. On top of that, uh, Joseph was uh, kind of an arrogant twit, and he would go around and tell people his self-serving dreams. And he said, oh, uh, I had a dream that the sun and the moon and ten stars uh, bowed down to my star. Thank you for sharing, Joseph. We appreciate that. And, and by the way, there was uh, sheaves of wheat, and your sheaves all bowed down to my sheaves. Again, We feel particularly warm towards you now that you've shared that with us, Joseph. They got sick of that kind of, I'm the big grand poobah talk. So finally, 
the old man, Jacob, sends him out to check on the boys. They have to go long ways away to find grass and follow the herds. They're gone for long periods of time. So he sends them out to check on them. Not to work, just to check on them. And they see him coming. And they go, oh, good. Here comes the dreamer. Now we've got to put up with more of that arrogant, superior stuff. So uh, they say, let's, let's just let's kill him. And then we'll be done with all this. And we'll take some blood. We'll take his coat of many colors and add the color red to it, you know, uh, with the, the blood of an animal. We'll tell Dad, ah, I don't know what happened, Dad. We found this, we found this uh, coat here, and it's got, anim- it's got blood all over it. That some animal must have wiped him out. And this is all that's left. Sorry, Dad. That was the plan. And then the oldest brother said, no, we can't. We can't. Let's not do that, because then we'll have his blood. will be on our hands. Uh, but he said, let's do this instead. Let's throw him in a pit, like a dry well, a pit. And then when the slave traders come, we'll just fish him out and sell him. We can make money and get rid of him, and his blood won't be on our hands. Much better plan, they thought. So they do that. And the slave traders take Joseph to Egypt, and there he is sold to a merchant by the name of Potiphar. And he, he starts to mature a little bit. He starts doing well. He starts, you know, becoming the kind of guy that eventually he will become. Potiphar likes Joseph. He thinks Joseph is a good worker, a sharp young man, and he really likes him. But the problem is uh, Potiphar's wife also likes Joseph. Really, really likes Joseph, if you know what I mean. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And she uh, makes the move on Joseph, but Joseph does not reciprocate. She gets teed off and cries rape. Joseph is thrown into the pit again. Joseph has a lot of pit experiences. This one is jail. Then he has found that there are people in there who have dreams. He interprets them. One of them works for Pharaoh. Pharaoh has some bad dreams. He says, hey, I know a guy I was in prison with him. He's great with these dreams. So he tells him, he says, yeah, I, I, I had these uh, seven full plump ears of grain and then seven blasted wasted looking things and then there were seven big fat cows and then there were seven scrawny scrubs what does that mean and joseph said well what it means is you're going to have seven years of plenty of bumper crops and everything is going to be swell and then you're going to have seven years of nothing drought no crops nothing so he said what you need to do is you need to find somebody to build some warehouses and, and gather grain and get grain stored up and you know use the last grain first and then put the newest grain in and keep rotating it and, and make sure that when the seven lean years come, you got enough to get by. And Pharaoh said, that's, that's a great idea. What about you? You could do that. Okay. So Joseph becomes second in command only to Pharaoh and he does this. In the meantime, the seven years, eventually the lean years come. And then Jacob and the ten half-brothers and Benjamin, they uh, are out of grain. They're out of food. They, They hear that there's some in Egypt, so Jacob sends the boys down to get it. They go down there, and Joseph toys with them a little bit. They don't recognize him. It's been a lot of years. He's grown up. He looks different. And, you know, maybe he's got the weird Egyptian eye makeup on. I don't know. And uh, so they don't recognize him. 
And he goes in there and he toys with him, puts some stolen things in Benjamin's sack and then keeps him. And finally he lets on. He says, don't you know who I am? I'm Joseph, your brother that you sold into slavery. And then the boys went, dole! <laughs> he, he didn't die. He wasn't, he's second in command to Pharaoh. He has the power of life and death over us. And uh, then Joseph said, that's, that's, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about it, he said. I have, I have forgiven that a long time ago. He said, you meant it for evil. That's true. But God used it for good to save his special people. There's a lot of good lessons out of this, uh, this whole family of dysfunction story. The first good lesson is Joseph was often in the pits. And... I promise you that at some point in your life, if you haven't experienced this, you will be in the pits too. And it will probably, there will probably be several pits as there were for Joseph. And at that time, you're going to wonder what in the world is going on. But I assure you that God will be there with you in the pit. He will not leave you alone. He will be there with you. He will see you through that. The second thing we learn from the story is that God, when you are in the pit, God is not just saying, oh, well, too bad you're in the pit. He's already working to, to turn things around for you so that what has happened to you that's evil, God can actually take that and make it into something that could be beneficial to you. So if you lose your job, that is being in the pits. And I just talked to somebody today that that is going to happen. And that's, that's a terrible thing, but... Rest assured that if you lose your job, God is with you in the pit and he will begin to make a way for you to find a better job, another way to make money, uh, and probably something that's more fulfilling to you. If you get a divorce, it's a terrible thing. But be assured that God is with you to help you to work on your own character defects that partially caused this breakup, because it always takes two that God is at work helping you with that and restoring your spirituality of knowing that when the Lord is the only thing you've got to hang on to, it's the only thing you need, that God is opening up new doors for you even as the other one is closing. So be aware that God will do that and it can take evil, and it's evil. It's not good masquerading as evil. It's evil, but God can, can work and turn that around. And the third thing we learned from the story is that Joseph forgave. And when he released his brothers from indebtedness, he was done with it. He was done. He had forgotten about that. That's it. Now we come to the, the section in our Old Testament lesson for today. This is the background. And now we come to that. So Jacob dies. And the brothers get together and say, Oh man, maybe Joseph was just biding his time to wait till the old man dies and then he's going to come back on us. I think this isn't good. So they go to Joseph and they say, uh, by the way, uh, dad wanted to make sure that you guys knew that you shouldn't uh, punish us for our past crimes. <laughs> yeah, what a self-serving bunch of horse hockey. They, you know, they were looking out for themselves. And that, oh, yeah, 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 Dad wanted to make sure you, you, you knew this. <laughs> right. But Joseph said, 
I, I wasn't going to do that. He said, I, I forgave you. I let that go. I'm going to take care of you and your children. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to do that. I cut the debt out. It's gone. In the gospel lesson for today, Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? No, 77 times. Which kind of meant unlimited. And then Jesus followed that up and drove the point home with the parable. He said, now there was one servant who um, went to the master and he, was, he owed him 10,000 talents. That would be, that's a weight of silver. It's like a huge chunk of silver. 10,000 talents of silver. One talent would huge. And... Uh, and he, you know, he couldn't pay it back. And the master simply released him from debt. He didn't even have to come back next week. He was done with it. He released him from the debt. And after he left there, he went out, and there was another servant, the second servant that met him. And he owed him a hundred denarii. And he said he couldn't pay, so he threw him into a debtor's prison. The master found out about this, came back and said, I can't believe this. I forgave this guy 10,000 talents worth of silver and he throws a guy in debtor's prison for a hundred denarii take him out torture him and Jesus ends by saying so it will be with you when you are forgiven but do not forgive your brother or sister there's usually something that's um, either surprising or exaggerated in Jesus parables and in this parable the thing that is exaggerated is the tremendous discrepancy in the amounts of what is what is to be forgiven. Uh, I figured this out. It says 10,000 talents of silver. And I checked this out. One talent of silver would have been the equivalent of uh, one talent equals 6,000 denarii. Remember, a denarius was the standard day's wage. The, the workers in the vineyard, they each got one denarius for working. Some of them worked all day, some of them part of the day. But they each got one denarius. That was standard pay. So uh, 6,000 denarii to one talent times 10,000 talents. So 6,000 times 10,000. And I think even in the new math, that's 60 million. I, had, I was unsure. I had Marilyn get her calculator out uh, the other day. Just, I said, can that be right? 60 million. Go ahead. Those of you who are good at math, you know, go ahead. Uh, 60 million denarii that would equal. In other words, 60 million days wages. This guy said he was going to pay him back. Yeah, I'll pay you back 60 million days wages. I don't think so. And the other guy owed him 100 denarii, which would have been just slightly over three months of daily wages. 60 million, three months worth. And the point of this whole thing is pretty obvious. When we have been forgiven this amount, we should not be quibbling with our neighbor about this amount. When we recognize what we have been forgiven in our sinfulness, it ought to do something in terms of how we relate to other people who are irritating or annoying to us and who sin against us. So, Jesus tells that parable and he, he ends it by saying, that's the way it is in the kingdom of heaven. The Lord God has forgiven you all of that. 
And what it implies is if you don't want to forgive your brothers and sisters who are annoying and irritating to you, apparently that means you don't think you've been forgiven very much. Because if you would, if you'd understand what 10,000 talents worth is, it wouldn't take you much to forgive others. So Jesus concludes by saying, if you have been forgiven by your heavenly Father, so ought you also to forgive your brother or sister. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> <clears throat>